The price tag on medical education in the United States, and with it medical student debt, has been increasing rapidly, raising questions about whether becoming a physician is worth the investment. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with David Ash, a professor of medicine, medical ethics, and health policy at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Ash has co-authored a perspective article about bubble markets and medical education. Dr. Ash, the cost of higher education in general has risen much faster than average salaries and the cost of living. What factors are contributing to those increases, particularly for medical school? Well, that really is the central question in all of higher education. College is expensive and medical school is even more expensive. And, you know, I think the main reason that medical school is so expensive is that how we produce medical education in, let's say, the year 2013 is really not that different from how we produced medical education back in 1963. And so while other industries showed great productivity gains during this period because of advances in technology, academic enterprises really haven't shared in those gains. So it's not unreasonable to think that costs are going to outpace those other fields when you're talking about education. So colleges and medical schools are using more technology. That's definitely true. They're using it in their instruction. But in general, that technology is aims at making the schools better and fancier. In most cases, though, the technology hasn't been applied to reduce costs in education the way that technology and automation can reduce costs in other fields. So really, with the exception of online learning systems, which may be transformative here, we still rely on faculty. Those faculty have highly specialized training. They're very expensive, and we rely on faculty largely to the same degree as we did 50 years ago. So what level of debt do new physicians begin their careers with, and how has that debt load affected the makeup of medical school classes and residency programs? In 2011, the average debt among medical school graduates was $164,000, and that figure actually includes zero debt for about 10% of the students. So if you have debt, your debt is even higher, at least on average. The average is higher for those who attend private schools, at $179,000, and it's lower for those attending public schools at $152,000. But really, any way you look at it, it is a very big number. So medical students emerge from their training with a lot of debt. You also asked if this kind of debt might affect the makeup of medical schools and residency programs. And it's really, it's hard for me to believe that debt like that would not affect the makeup of medical school classes, and therefore, ultimately, the makeup of the U.S. physician workforce. So We can look and say, and it is actually true that the number of underrepresented minorities who enter medical schools has actually risen between 2004 and 2012. But of course, what we don't know is what those figures would have been if the cost of medical school were lower. At the same time, there are really lots of barriers to increasing the diversity of the physician workforce. I'm convinced that debt is one of them, but of course, there are many other factors as well. I have pretty much the same thoughts about the makeup of residency programs, or at least Another issue that's of increasing policy importance, which is the specialty distribution that we observe in this country. So rising debt may certainly be one reason why only about 15% of graduating medical school students intend to practice in primary care, which is a relatively low-paying field. But really, I would probably look at it on the other side of the ratio for the stronger explanation here. I think it's less to do with the debt. To me, I would look at the tremendous income differences across specialties. I think specialty choice has much less to do with debt and much more to do with later income and the status that's associated with higher income specialties. In your article, you point out that bubble markets are created when people overvalue an asset and believe that they can sell it for even more than they paid for it. 
In your view, are people overvaluing medical education? No, I don't think they are. From a purely financial perspective, doctors still make a lot of money, and medical education still looks like a good buy. Now, it may not be as good a buy today as it was a decade ago, but today's students face today's market. They can't go back to yesterday's prices. Students have to choose some career, and what we showed is that there's a consistent underlying trend among professional occupations of rising debt relative to income. So what's happening in medicine is actually happening pretty broadly. Now, there are some outliers, veterinary schools on the minus side and business schools on the plus side, but those are outside of medicine. Medicine still looks like a good buy in general. You examined the ratio of medical education debt to entry-level income for a variety of medical specialties in your article, and you found that some specialties are worse investments than others family medicine, psychiatry, for example. So what factors are contributing to lower incomes for those specialties, and is that going to change with the health care reform? Well, first of all, I really do think that what's contributing most to the maldistribution across specialties is the maldistribution of income across those specialties. So those different incomes are partly a product of history, but mostly they're perpetuated by advisory and lobbying practices that are dominated by representatives of highly paid specialties. My view is that that process is not serving the nation very well. I don't think it serves the nation well to have orthopedists earning on average two to three times what primary care physicians earn. I mean, I guess at the same point, I don't think it serves the nation well to have investment bankers earning a hundred times what school teachers earn. But whatever those forces are, and in healthcare, they're partly market, but partly regulatory, I think they conspire to create a perverse system. Now, the Affordable Care Act will definitely create some changes, but actually To my thinking, the net effect is very hard to predict, or at least I can't predict it. If the ACA extends insurance to 25 million people, that will increase the demand for physicians in all specialties, and it will probably contribute to the impending shortage of doctors that many people predict. That's likely to make physicians' fees rise. That said, at the same time, I think economics would indicate that there will also be some pressures to figure out ways to shift some activities that physicians typically did to people who are not physicians but might be perfectly capable of doing those jobs at a lower cost. So I think that the effect of the ACA is somewhat uncertain in that direction. There's a graph in your article that shows changes in the debt-to-income ratio over time, and it looks as though there's a downturn in the ratio in many specialties around 2009. Did something happen there? Yes, that's an interesting quirk in the data. And, you know, the rise in average debt among graduating medical students has slowed down noticeably between 2009 and 2011, but honestly for reasons that we're not sure of. This hasn't happened in the other professions. It might reflect the reluctance of recent cohorts to borrow as much. Maybe it's because recent graduates are from higher income families and don't need to borrow as much, but it could also be a statistical fluke. But it is actually unexplained. You conclude in your article that we're probably not yet in a bubble market for medical education, but you say, of course, that most bubbles aren't recognized until they burst. If this is a bubble and it does burst, what would that mean for physician supply, access to care, and healthcare costs? I don't think actually that we're in a bubble market here, but of course that's often what people say just before the music stops. Bubble markets are really defined by their bursting, not by their inflating. So if this is a bubble, and if this bubble bursts, it would probably be because some unexpected and let's say precipitous decline in physician incomes occurred, or maybe it would be because of a more gradual decline in physician incomes that is suddenly realized by students who suddenly see the handwriting on the wall. So that kind of bursting of a bubble is likely to be different 
across different medical schools. So all medical schools in the U.S. are very selective, but the most selective schools would probably be less affected. They have enough applicants to continue to charge high tuition and still attract very qualified students. The less selective schools, though, would probably have to cut tuition. Otherwise, their students you know, would be the ones that they can attract might be those that they might otherwise reject. Now, maybe those seemingly marginal students would still turn out to be fine doctors, and that might very well be the case. But actually, I think the more important point is this. If we're in a medical education bubble, and if that bubble bursts, it will be because of something really much more fundamental. So bubbles burst when there's some recognition of a new reality in the value of what doctors are worth paying. And what happens to the availability of healthcare more generally would probably have much more to do with that new valuation and its own causes than the specific effects on the medical education market. Do you think government has a role here, perhaps in regulating the cost of medical education? Well, not so much. You know, before committing something like seven to 10 years to training and 30 years to practicing, prospective medical student has a tremendously strong incentive to try to forecast his or her future earnings. So, you know, I think if the government wants to help, maybe it can provide information to prospective students that would help them forecast. Or in the case with certain kinds of federally guaranteed student loans, it can provide easier access to capital markets to help with income smoothing. I think the idea of price regulation for medical education strikes me as very heavy-handed. You know, I think there's already considerable government influence in the setting of specialty fees. And frankly, I'm worried that that's part of the reason why we pay some specialties way too much and some too little. So if we take price off the table, what are viable approaches to reducing the cost of medical education? So I think this is the most important and forward-looking issue. And it's actually, I think, in the control of medical schools today. How can we be more efficient in the process of medical education? So I like to think about two complementary approaches. The first is that we can shorten the time it takes to create a doctor. It takes a long time to create a physician, and I'm just not sure it needs to take that long. And the second approach is that we can make each year of that period cheaper. So these aren't mutually exclusive. It isn't obvious to me that we need four years of medical school, three years of internal medicine residency training, and another three years of cardiology fellowship to produce a cardiologist. I'm sure there has got to be some way to shorten that pipeline without reducing quality. And I think that's particularly true because medical knowledge is moving so fast that a lot of what people learned during those 10 years will be obsolete fairly soon thereafter anyway. So, And at the same time, I think that each year can probably be made a bit cheaper. You know, we're seeing a lot of interest in online instruction more generally. So, you know, let me pause for a minute and bite the hand that feeds me. If there are 140 medical schools in the nation, do we really need 140 anatomy classes? I mean, why can't we just pick the best anatomy professor and have him or her teach all 20,000 medical students? Thank you, Dr. Ash.